where it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate the water from, the, from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth, across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. 
God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the, earth, of the whole world, earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I, have, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that all he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. I'll pray and I'll invite Carl to come up. Father, we've just uh, read your word and it's the opening chapter of the Bible and it's a very powerful one. And Father, we pray that you'll speak to us powerfully through your servant Carl this morning as he would explain how powerful you are for your glory and for Jesus' sake. Amen. I just thought I'd uh, plug another book. can never plug too many books. Uh, I've plugged this one before, I think. It's, it's the Bible Dictionary, the IVP Bible Dictionary. Uh, it's a great book. I think Philip Jensen once said that every Christian should have a copy of this book. And basically what it does is it just helps you to answer some of those questions that sometimes you wonder about, like, what is Herapolis? Uh, you know, or who's Herodias? So what is, a, what is a covenant? So if you have questions uh, about the Bible, Bible, a Bible dictionary, a good Bible dictionary, helps you to answer some of those questions. And you might think, well, I'll just look on the internet, but there's a lot of trash on the internet and there's a lot of stuff and you go, I don't even know if I can trust this. But a good book with good editors and good writers is a great place uh, to start. And it's only about 30 bucks or something at Kurong normally, so gold. Well, in every, uh, in every Bible uh, preaching series that I do, there's always one sermon that I'm looking forward to more than the others. Um, and, and in this series, this is the one. Sometimes I construct an entire series just around the idea of one sermon. Uh, and possibly I did that with this. Who knows? But, uh, but, but this is the sermon, I think, where the rubber really hits the road. We've seen as we've looked at what the Bible says about the Bible, we've seen that the Bible is God's words written for his people by his spirit about his son. We've seen that the Bible is God's authoritative word and that we need to listen to what God says to us in the Bible. We've seen that the Bible is clear and that the Holy Spirit, uh, God gives us the Holy Spirit so that the Bible makes sense to us. We've seen that the Bible is reliable, it's truthful and that we can rely on it. We can, we can shape our lives by it because we can trust God and God speaks to us in the Bible. But those ideas really are just the foundation uh, of, of what we're thinking about today. That is the power of the Bible. The power of the Bible is where uh, the rubber really begins to hit the road. Well, is the Bible powerful? Or, or is the Bible just a dead book? There's lots of people who would say that the Bible is just a dead book, empty words. Is the Bible powerful? Well, before we uh, answer that question, I want to ask another more foundational question, I think, 
which is, are words powerful? We live in an age where people think that words are not powerful or useful. People think that words are meaningless and empty. People think that words are forgettable. In our society, words are not valued. But those things, those, uh, things couldn't be further from the truth because our lives are actually built around words and our lives are not only built by words and around words but our lives can be destroyed by words as well. Think about how powerful these human words can be. Please can you help me? Thank you. I love you. I do. I never want to see you again. I hate you. I don't know if you remember uh, the movie The Princess Bride. It's one of my favourite movies. I think I've probably seen it about a hundred times. But, uh, and that's probably not an exaggeration. But in that movie, do you remember uh, Wesley? You know Wesley, the, uh, the, uh, the servant boy? What does he say? As you wish. Their whole relationship was built on those words. Words of love. Human words are powerful words. They build relationships. They steal relationships. I do. They destroy relationships. I hate you and I never want to see you again. And what's true of human words is even more true of God's words. Think about how powerful these words of God are. Jesus said on the cross, It is finished. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's happiness. Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. God's words are powerful just as human words are powerful but God's words are even more powerful than our mere human words. And the Bible begins, doesn't it? Ben read it for us before. The Bible begins with a demonstration of God's words. Where does the Bible begin? It begins with God speaking and God creating a whole world by speaking. God says, let there be light. And it happened. I used to live in this fantasy world when I was a child and I still live in it, I have to say. Uh, I lived in this fantasy world that I could say something to our dog and the dog would listen. Uh, and sometimes, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd go to the dog, sit, and I'd have this kind of, you know, this sense, just go, the dog is going to listen to me. And the dog would just go, what on earth are you talking about? Forget you for a joke. And sometimes I go to people's houses and uh, the dog comes up and I, and I think to myself, I can, I can speak to this dog and it's going to listen to me. And I say, sit. And the dog looks at me and just keeps jumping up and down. No one ever listens to me. Certainly dogs don't. I don't know if people listen to you or if your dog listens to you. Maybe it does some of the time. But look at what God does in Genesis 1. He speaks and the world is created. It's just as he intended it to be. Let there be light. And there was. And it was good. And God saw that it was good. I saw uh, some video footage of a protest the other day and on one of the signs it said, deeds, not words. Our society values actions, not words, but 
What's startling about God's words in the Bible is that God's words achieve his actions. God speaks and it happens. If you've got your, uh, your Bible uh, with you, turn to Psalm 29. I stumbled across this last night. Psalm 29 gives us a picture of the power of God's words and what it's like when God speaks. Psalm 29 verse 3, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. That's what he's speaking. It's like like God thundering. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf. Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the deserts of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. What is it like when God speaks? It's terrifying. It's amazing. It makes people skip for joy. It makes people run in terror. The voice of the Lord is majestic and powerful. Uh, Or look at the words in Isaiah 55 in uh, the leaflet. You've got uh, some Bible quotes in the middle of the leaflet. And the first one there is from Isaiah 55. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's words are powerful because they achieve exactly what he intends them to achieve. They're not powerful in a magical way, as though we could just recite words of the Bible and expect those things to happen. It's not that God's words do what we want them to do, God's words do exactly what he wants them to do. They achieve his purposes, not our purposes. They do exactly what he wants wants them to do. It's so important uh, that we grasp this fact. It's so important that we understand that God's words are powerful words because if we don't believe that God's words are powerful words, we won't use them. If we don't think that God's words are powerful words, we won't use them in our lives. Uh, A friend of mine uh, has a question which uh, I find a very useful question to keep asking myself. He always asks people in ministry the question, not do you believe the Bible, but are you using the Bible in your ministry? He doesn't ask, do you believe the Bible, but are you using the Bible? So you might say, I believe the Bible, but then you never use it. And actually that reveals your functional beliefs, your your deep set beliefs that you don't really believe that it's useful or powerful. Well, that's a very good question I think for you to ask yourself as well. Not do you believe the Bible, but are you using it? Our beliefs about the power of the Bible affect how we use the Bible and it affects how we respond to Bible teaching and to Bible training. If we don't believe that God's words are powerful, 
we won't read the Bible. We won't read the Bible for ourselves. We won't read the Bible to our children. We won't read the Bible to people in our evangelism. Uh, If we don't believe that God's words in the Bible are powerful, we'll read them in a hurry just to get through them so that we can get our devotions done or so that we can get to the Bible study and so that we can share our thoughts about our lives or about what we think the Bible says. Or we'll only ever read short sections from the Bible so that we can get to the meat of the sermon. If we don't believe that God's uh, words are powerful, we won't use them. Uh, If we uh, do believe that God's words are powerful, it will change how and why we come to church. So we won't come to church chiefly because we love the sermons or we love the singing, but we'll come to church because we believe that hearing God's words read and explained changes our lives. We'll be committed to studying the Bible together uh, with other Christians, whether in groups or one-on-one or with our families. We'll do that because we believe that studying God's word and reading God's word is powerful and effective to transform our lives and to grow us in godliness and mature us in our faith. If we don't believe the Bible is powerful, we won't use the Bible. If we do believe the Bible is powerful, we will use it and it will be powerful because we'll be using the Bible and God's words in the Bible are powerful. So God's words in the Bible are powerful but secondly, they're also useful they're useful for every area of our lives. And the greatest statement of that is in, uh, it comes in 2 Timothy chapter 3. That's in the leaflet as well. And Paul writes to Timothy, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching Uh, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What are the two uh, great purposes of the Bible? One, it's so that we might become wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus and second, it's so that we might be equipped for every good work. Uh, If one of the reasons that we don't use the Bible is because we don't think it's powerful. The other great reason that we don't use the Bible is because we don't think that it's useful. But Paul says that that's not true. He says that it is useful. Would you like to know uh, how to be wise for salvation? Then use the Bible. Do you want to know what the good news about Jesus is? Then read the Bible. Do you want to know how to be saved? Then read the Bible. The Bible tells us about salvation. It tells us how to be forgiven through Jesus Christ. It tells us that we can know God. It tells us that we're not saved by what we do, but by, uh, but by being uh, saved, we're saved through knowing Christ and trusting in Jesus. Where do you and I meet Jesus? We meet him in the pages of the Bible. Where will our friends and family meet Jesus? They'll meet him in the pages of the Bible. Where will the stranger that we meet find Christ? They'll find him in the pages of the Bible and the words about Jesus in the Bible. But Paul says God's words don't only equip us for salvation and make us wise for salvation, they equip us for every good work. God's powerful words 
correct us, he says, rebuke us, encourage us. They teach us and they train us in righteousness. So are you discouraged? Then the Bible can encourage you. Are you in need of correction? Are you, have you wandered onto the wrong path? How can you find your way back from the wrong path? Paul says you can use the Bible. Do you feel ill-equipped to be a parent? Where can you find great training material on how to be a good parent? You can find that in the Bible. The Bible is full of great tips on how to be a good parent. Are you involved in uh, some kind of ministry? Some, uh, maybe you're a Sunday school teacher or a youth leader or an elder or a deacon or a growth group leader or whatever it might be. Maybe you feel poorly equipped. Where can you find training material to help you be a better minister, a better uh, leader? You can find it in the Bible. The Bible uh, is not only useful for ourselves, for training ourselves, but it's useful when we help other people as well. So you might need to counsel uh, a friend. Uh, Maybe you need to counsel a child or maybe you need to counsel your own parents uh, or a colleague. What can you use? Paul says you can use the Bible because it's useful for teaching and training and correcting people in righteousness. God says uh, that the Bible is useful and when we use it, it does its job. That doesn't mean that uh, we won't find other books helpful but no other book that we might read comes with God's guarantee and God's seal of approval. No other book comes with God's promise that what you find inside it will be helpful. So you can go to the bookstore, you can go to the Christian bookstore, you can go out into the church library and you can find some really helpful things in there but there is no other book that God guarantees and says this book will teach and train and correct and encourage you in your Christian life. No other book comes with God's guarantee and seal of approval. Do you believe the Bible? Yes, if you do, that's fantastic. But are you using it? Are you using it in your own life? Are you using it in training your children? Are you using it in your ministry? your Sunday school ministry, your youth group ministry, your growth group ministry, your discipleship, your mentoring ministry, whatever the ministry is that you're involved in, are you using the Bible? I think one of the reasons uh, that we often don't use the Bible is because we don't always feel that it's useful. Uh, We think that in order for the Bible to be doing something, we need to feel as though it's doing something. Uh, it needs to whack us over the head. So if we go to church and we come home and we don't feel horribly depressed, uh, then the Bible hasn't done its job. Or if we go to church and we don't uh, come home feeling over the moon, then the Bible hasn't done its job. Sometimes uh, it happens that the Bible thoroughly convicts us of sin or the Bible thoroughly encourages us and gives us joy to keep going in the Christian life. But Paul says to Timothy that what the Bible is useful for is for teaching and training. And the thing about teaching and training is they take a long time. You don't go to footy training and have one session and go home an AFL grade footballer. 
You don't go to one piano lesson and come home and be able to, you're able to play Beethoven and whatever else. And even once you're a professional, you don't stop training. In fact, you keep doing the same things over and over again. The things that you started doing the very first training session, you keep doing for the rest of your life. You keep doing kicking practice. You keep doing scales. But so often we come to church and we go to a growth group and we expect our lives to be turned upside down like that in an instant. Sometimes that happens, but most of the time God's word works slowly. It takes God 20 years to teach us to be patient, but we expect God to do it in five minutes. It takes 20 years for God to train us to be great evangelists. And we run one training course and we're horribly depressed that the world isn't converted by our ministry. Becoming a great evangelist means sitting on the gospel for years. It means understanding the gospel more and more every day and believing the gospel more and more and applying the gospel to our own lives more and more. And the more we do that, the better we are able to explain it to other people. Listen to these beautiful words from Thomas Cramner. And there is nothing that so much strengthens our faith and trust in God, that so much keeps up innocence and pureness of the heart and also of outward godly life and conversation as continual reading and recording of God's word. For that thing which by continual use of reading of Holy Scripture and diligent searching of the same is deeply printed and graven in the heart, at length turns almost into nature." Came of saying that when we use the Bible, slowly, ever so slowly, what we read changes us and it becomes instinctive and it transforms who we are. It changes our very nature. The Bible changes us slowly, but by the power of the Holy Spirit it changes us deeply as well. So please don't think that the Bible, that because the Bible is powerful, don't think that it will change your life in an instant. But please also don't think that the usefulness of the Bible means that it will always appear to be useful to where you're at at the moment. Sometimes Bible teaching and Bible training won't be useful to you in your own life. It might be useful to somebody else that you come across later that week. You might have to minister to your own child later in that week and what you've learned in the Bible will help you to do that. Sometimes Bible teaching and Bible training also equips you for what you'll need to deal with in 20 years' time. I was talking to my sister the other day and she said to me, as she does sometimes, she goes, Carl, you know what we need? We need to develop a theology before we ever experience something. We need to develop a theology of something before we encounter it. So we need to know how to suffer well before we suffer. If you wait until you're suffering, you're in the pit of despair before uh, you work out what it means to suffer well, it'll be too hard. It's too hard to work it out then. 
and it'll be so much more difficult. But if you listen to the Bible and are trained by the Bible for 20 years before you suffer, then when when it comes time to suffer, you'll be so much better equipped. The Bible equips us for marriage before we ever need to marry. The Bible equips us to be godly parents before we ever have children. If we wait until we're married or until we have children before we think about those things or before we let the Bible train us, our lives will be so difficult. One of the great problems with application questions in our Bible studies, I think, just in Bible studies in general, I mean, is that they're preoccupied with the present. They ask, how will this Bible passage help you today or tomorrow? But we need to think not just about that, that's important to think about, we also need to think about how will this Bible passage help me in five years from now, in ten years from now, in twenty years from now? How will this shape my life for the long term, not just the short term? In other words, we need to have a longer term view of the usefulness and the power of the Bible. So God's words are powerful. God's words in the Bible are useful as well for training us and for teaching us the gospel. But most exciting of all and last of all, God's words are powerful in that they not only change us and and teach us, but they actually give us new life. They give people new life. The most wonderful words about that uh, come in 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, This is in the leaflet. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter was writing to to Christians, uh, people who are genuine Christians, who've been born again. They've been born again into the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. How did that happen? How did they come to share in that resurrection power of Jesus that can never perish, spoil or fade? Well, look at verse 23. It's the next thing I've got printed out. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. They were born again through the word of God. Jesus is the seed, the seed from which our new life grows. His death becomes our life. Apart from Jesus, we're like grass, we die, but Jesus is like the new grass seed. You know, he's like the everlasting grass seed. And we have new life which comes from him, planted in us through the word of God and made to grow through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes God's words, the message about Jesus Christ in the Bible, and makes those words powerful and effective. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians 4. So God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Just as God spoke the world into existence, just as at the beginning of the world God said, let there be light and there was, 
So when God speaks his words in the Bible and the Spirit empowers them, light shines in our hearts. Our hearts which were dark become full of the glory of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's not that we hear the words and we make them effective, but we hear the words and the Spirit of God makes them effective and they do exactly what God intends them to do. God says, believe, and people believe. As we hear the Bible and as we read the Bible, as we hear the Bible explained and as we pray the Bible, God's Spirit makes God's message about Jesus powerful and effective. I heard a great illustration of that this past week at the preaching conference that I was at. The last few days of the week I was in Geelong at a preaching conference and one of the speakers told us a wonderful story about his sister-in-law and she had become a Christian in the last few days of her life. He came back from overseas and he walked into her room and she said, she looked as radiant as she'd ever looked and she said to him, uh, God loves me, I love God and I'm ready to die. And he's like, goodness, <laughs> where did this come from? And so he asked her, what's happened? And she said, well, I was sitting here and I thinking about the end of my life and I was reflecting on years in the past and I remembered Sunday school 60 years ago and I remembered something that my Sunday school teacher said and a prayer that she prayed and I thought to myself, well, I could pray that prayer now. And so she did and she understood the gospel and she believed in Jesus and she died a saint of God. It was a seed that was planted and that God watered. And as the speaker said, she was probably sitting there in that Sunday school lesson that day and the teacher was thinking, well, little Susie's not listening to me, she's sitting there picking her nose. But God used that word and made that word powerful. But we think these words aren't powerful. What's the point of me speaking about Jesus to my next door neighbour because nothing ever seems to come of it? What's the point of persevering in this Sunday school ministry or youth group ministry or my ministry as an elder or whatever it might be, my ministry with my family, with my children, with my extended relatives? What's the point of doing it because nothing seems to come of it? But that's Satan's lie, isn't it? To discourage us from speaking the true words about Jesus Christ. And God says... You've been born again through the living and enduring word of God. God says, my words are powerful words because I'm a powerful God. So you might not yet be a Christian, but perhaps you'd like to be. Where can you start? You can start by reading the Bible and praying. You can pray... Father, help me to understand these words of yours in the Bible. Help me to believe them. Help me to trust them. Help me to become a Christian. If you're trying to explain the good news about Jesus to someone that you know, 
the best place that you can start is with the Bible. Uh, I know a friend of mine who all he does is he sits down with the Gospel of Mark and they read chapter 1 and he gets to the end and says, what struck you? What didn't you understand? And then next week they come back and they read Mark chapter 1 and he says, what struck you? What didn't you understand? And when they're finished with Mark chapter 1, they go on to Mark chapter 2. It's not rocket science. We don't have to be great geniuses. We just have to believe that God means what he says. That his words in the Bible are powerful and effective. Are God's words powerful and effective? Yes, they achieve exactly what God wants them to achieve. They make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. They equip us for every good work. They encourage us and train us in righteousness. They grant us new birth by the power of the Holy Spirit. For God who said that light shone out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.